This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello and welcome to a special Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast episode. This is Rich Daly, a senior writer and editor for HFMA. Joining me today for an important update are Joe Pfeiffer, president and CEO of HFMA, and Chad Mulvaney, director of healthcare finance policy and analysis for HFMA. So welcome, guys. Good morning, Rich. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy the segments you do. You guys bring a lot of this complex stuff to life. And so I'm, I'm uh, pleased to join you today. Thanks for having me. Great. And uh, this is a big day. Uh, it's the deadline for public comments on the 2020 proposed rule from CMS for the hospital outpatient prospective payment system. Of course, front phrase, known as OPPS. Um, and one of the key provisions of this proposed rule would require hospitals to make public their payer-specific negotiated charges. This is seen as an unprecedented requirement, and it's quite controversial, especially among hospital leaders. So we're here today to discuss price transparency in general and HFMA's response to CMS on this element of the proposed rule. HFMA, of course, has been a longtime supporter of price transparency, you know, including facilitating separate price transparency and patient financial communications task forces, leading industry groups bringing them together to find solutions in this area. And so, Joe, maybe you could tell us why it's important that hospitals provide patients with their estimated out-of-pocket spending in advance of any services or as soon after the service as possible. You know, first and foremost, I'd say it's just very simply the right thing to do for the patients. And I like to phrase that, and I've done this a number of times on stage, it's a reasonable request. And, you know, quite frankly, it's something any of us would want as we acquire any service in, in any part of our society. We believe that patients should be provided with data and help them understand their cost of care and, and the quality, which doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think, um, you know, where that's possible, just to help them make those decisions about where to receive care or even to get the right care because uh, there are clinical implications of that. So that's the first reason. The second thing is, and we've highlighted this in our patient financial communications and our medical account resolution work, is that you need to provide patients with their out-of-pocket responsibility either in advance of the service for scheduled services or as soon as possible after care is delivered, um, you know, say in the emergency department or something along those lines. In, if nothing else, it gives them that data as, as soon as possible or if necessary to trigger a conversation to get that patient into the right you know, the right other conversation and get access to financial assistance policy uh, and all the other conversations that we all know so well. So that's the second thing. And then finally, you know, as more and more of these services, particularly things, you know, that are high volume, high margin services, are moving into the outpatient setting, you know, we're all seeing an increased amount of competition for these services in that ambulatory setting. 
so the ability to provide an out-of-pocket estimate and some quality data, uh, quite frankly, we think are table stakes if you're going to compete and in this more competitive environment. All right. So that helps a lot to understand that. Understanding also that despite HFMA's strong support over the years for price transparency and extensive work in this area, HFMA has real concerns with CMS's payer-specific negotiated charge requirement. Uh, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about why that is. Well, first of all, today is the day that we're sending in our comment letter. And so we appreciate the ability to be able to comment and help guide CMS in this. You know, it might sound interesting and maybe on the surface a little concerning (laughs) to some of our listeners, but I actually think that CMS's uh, intent here and their rhetoric is directionally correct. Uh, When they talk about where they want to go with transparency, it's pretty hard to argue because what they're saying is very similar to what we've said and that it's important to provide patients with information so that they can make the decisions, as I just mentioned. What the issue here, though, is that I think they're missing some key requirements. And I, through this answer, I'd cite, again, all the work that we've done. You know, the the first kind of environmental thing is is what CMS is doing with the payment rate transparency. And quite frankly, going back to their charge master requirement, which we all know doesn't really help very much. I think there's a high possibility that could be confusing to the public as opposed to helpful. And I would challenge anybody to look at, and I do that. I go, when I go into towns, I, when I go to speak at chapter meetings and, and um, you know, other reasons, I'll oftentimes just look up hospitals and what they're doing with this charge master requirement. And, you know, the bare minimum of what is required to do for CMS in this charge master space is not helpful. And my fear would be just posting of these payment rates without the context that goes with it would be more confusing to folks than not. You know, there's another environmental issue here that I think is, uh, and I don't have a solution for this one, quite frankly, but it sometimes seems that where CMS is going here is treating all of these shoppable services as a pure market, you know, operating in pure market conditions, like any other uh, retail good that we acquire in our society. And, you know, the fact of the matter is healthcare isn't a pure market. Um, you know, in its simplest terms, hospitals have half of their volume or half their revenue coming from, you know, fixed payment governmental sources. So right there, it says that there's not a pure market. And so to put that into context, you know, question I ask often is how does a hospital with, say, a 25% Medicaid mix compete on price uh, with a hospital that has a 5% Medicaid mix? When we, we all know that Medicaid across all the different programs in all the different states is significantly, is paying significantly under cost. So to start with, there's just not a pure market out there uh, in healthcare that would seem to support a pure market approach in terms of, of uh, you know, posting of these payment rates. The other one is that their requirements, as they're stated now, and we're saying this in our letter, it fails to provide patients and consumers with the information that they'd need to actually make a value-based decision about where to receive care. It's not specific enough to them, and um, therefore, we think it might be more confusing and, and uh, not as helpful as and matching up with the rhetoric that CMS talks about. And then the last issue, and, and this is one, Chad, I might uh, uh, ask you to chime in a little bit, but the, the proposal has a number of technical issues that um, we always put in our comment letters because 
because we're technical people, right? And so uh, there's some of those that are in there as well. You, Chad, you want to pick up on that a little bit because you're the technical expert here. Yeah, no, Joe, thank you. And certainly great points. And certainly the, the, the difference in payer mixes and the cost shift is certainly something that CMS doesn't appreciate. But in terms of the consumer factor and, you know, with CMS really trying to create a market and how this fails to do that, you know, in terms of the things that are shoppable, you know, if I'm a consumer and I want to use this data, number one, what they're proposing doesn't give me my out-of-pocket cost and it doesn't give me any quality data. Second, even if it did that, I would still have to go to individual hospital websites within my town or my area and sort of start to put together what the prices are for these services. And given the fact that, you know, it's not a uniform list beyond the 70 services the CMS has proposed, be hard to do that. And then from a comparison standpoint, there's no easy way for a consumer to go and understand what for things that can be done in a freestanding setting, what the freestanding site would be. So even if I put everything together from a hospital perspective, I'm going to be missing an opportunity to understand where there may be a lower cost or higher value option. From a technical perspective, there are a couple of things that certainly give us pause. One of the requirements in the rule, in the proposed rule, is that if a hospital employs physicians or non-physician providers and there's a charge associated or a payment associated with their services for the technical component, that they include that in the service bundle. And as we all know, different hospitals have different physician and provider employment strategies. So there's nothing in the rule right now that would allow or what's going to be posted that's going to allow a consumer to understand if they're looking at two different hospitals, one that employs physicians, one that does not employ physicians, that there's a cost differential there or a price differential there that's because there are additional services lumped in. So it's going to provide skewed data. And then the other thing from a technical perspective is just this concept that CMS is going to require hospitals to sit down for each of these services and create service packages, which include both the primary service and the ancillary services if they're separately paid. And that's fairly straightforward if we're talking about one primary service on a claim with multiple ancillary services. But when you get into a situation where you've got multiple primary services, so think you know two different APCs on a claim, and then you've got ancillary services, how do you attribute those ancillary services to create the right service bundle? And this is certainly something that CMS struggles with on when it goes to set rates under the OPPS or weights under the OPPS. You know, if folks are interested in uh, kind of digging more into the technical details, we will have our comment letter posted by the middle of next week. It'll be on the HFMA website under the industry initiatives tab in the regulatory and accounting resources section, which is where we keep all of our comment letters. So I'd encourage folks to go out and read and sort of understand more about the feedback we've provided to CMS. And you know, it's interesting, um, Rich, and, and picking up on what Chad said, we're working with CMS to try to revamp this whole charging process with Medicare. And that'll be another podcast down the road once we <laughs> make some headway. But this issue of claims with multiple primary services, uh, Chad, remind me, isn't that about half of the claims that go in um, that they really can't use for their subsequent uh, pricing uh, calculations for that very that very issue that you mentioned? So the point being, it's not an infrequent situation where there's uh, multiple primary care services. Yeah, that, Joe, that's correct. About half of outpatient claims when CMS goes to set APC weights, they end up using half of them, having to throw half of them out. And that's after they've taken a fairly sophisticated algorithm, looked across their claims experience and created what they call, um, they basically create pseudo 
single APC claims based on sort of patterns in the data that they see? Well, obviously, uh, you know, price transparency, uh, transparency of different types, it's not going away. It's a big issue. Um, Seema Verma just this week uh, underscored that again in an address to industry folks. So, Joe, where, where should CMS look to, to make some progress in this area and provide something useful to patients and customers? You're absolutely right, Rich. It won't go away. One, because of what I said earlier, these are reasonable requests. And, um, you know, we all know the attention that's been spent in this area, both politically, but also in the media. So it won't go away and it shouldn't go away. You know, this is an issue that, quite frankly, HFMA has been talking about since the mid-2000s uh, when we came out with our first consumerism report as part of the patient-friendly billing issue uh, series. And we've been talking about it ever since. And, you know, as I said in the opening, uh, these are reasonable requests from patients. And so we don't think the price transparency issue, neither will it go away or should it go away. And I'd reiterate my point that I, I, I think that CMS is directionally correct, at least in their rhetoric when they talk about this. But what should they do instead of what they're saying they're going to do? We very simply think that they should follow the recommendations of our price transparency task force, which in its simplest terms, and again, there's much more detail in the report itself, but you could categorize our recommendations into two main categories. One for the insured. Uh, if somebody has insurance, our task force uh, in the report that's written about it recommends that the health plan is the best source of this kind of key information. You know, total estimated price for the whole episode of care, the network status, what the status of where a patient is with their deductible and adding all that together, what their expected out of payment expectation would be. And oh, by the way, we believe that that stands for Medicare as well, not just for commercial payers, although, you know, Medicare hasn't stepped up on that uh, issue either. But that's our series of recommendations for folks with insurance. With people that are uninsured, uh, our report recommends that the hospital is the best source or any other provider in that whole series uh, of the estimate is what they'll have to pay out of pocket. And that's And that's the case, Chad, you know, they would have to go to various websites, but if they don't have insurance, there's no other way to get around that. So if folks have insurance, we think the insurance company is the right place to go for that out-of-pocket estimate and that transparency, including the price. That's a part of their negotiated rate. For the uninsured, they have to go to the provider community themselves. That helps a lot. So um, you know, thank you both for taking the time to, to give us some insight and some real expert perspective on this incredibly important and uh, I'm sure closely watched issue for the industry. Well, hey, thanks for having us, Rich. Uh, and to both of you, keep up the good work. Love your stuff. Yeah, Rich, always great talking with you, Joe. Good to have you on the conversation. And for those who are interested in our healthcare price transparency report, it's on our industry initiatives page under healthcare dollars and cents on the HFMA website. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by Healthcare Financial Management Association. Today's episode was produced by me, Rich Daly. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please look for us on social media. We are at at HFMAOrg on Twitter, and we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And as always, if you have thoughts about our podcast or ideas for future episodes, you can reach our team at podcast at hfma.org.